Week three is in the books. We've been spoiled. We have been spoiled by the football early on this season. Another awesome Sunday of action. And we're going to break down all the details, all of the performances, the stuff that you might have missed along the way. As always, it's Hayden Winks. Most importantly, it's John Daigle from Betsperts and 4 for 4 Football. Let's jump right into it with the timely old veterans, the Packers at the Buccaneers. Maybe the last time we get to see this matchup, Hayden Winks. Packers 14, Bucks 12, 42 attempts from Tom Brady for 271 yards, 35 attempts for Aaron Rodgers, 255 yards. Nothing vintage about these, but at least the Packers have enough weapons to get it done in comparison to the Bucs. Yeah, I'm not even sure if I'd say that. I thought both quarterbacks played relatively well. The wide receivers in this game was just so bad, especially on the Bucs side. Both defenses played excellent. Tom Brady drops back 42 times because they were trailing late in the game. Uh, to end the game, two minutes, 50, 50 second drive, 13 plays, check down, check down, check down, all the way to the field, scores a touchdown, goes for the two-point conversion. There's a delay of game before that. There was a lot of miscommunication, which was pretty interesting because they were at home this game. And then they don't get the two point conversion. So the buck, uh, the Bucks lose by two. Uh, big storyline here is just Russell Gage never looked right to me. He ends up catching twelve passes, eighty seven yards, and a touchdown. He was grabbing at his hamstring. No explosiveness from any anywhere. They couldn't push the ball downfield. Scotty Miller basically goose egg this game. They go away from Brashad Perriman. Cameron Braid's not creating separation. There's just nobody to throw the ball to this game. So Russell Gage was by far the best wide receiver in in this uh uh bucks team but i mean he averaged like seven yards per reception this game so at the end from what i saw bucks get down set up for a nice run for that two-point conversion and get a delay of game it felt like tom brady every single series had some level of frustration with the people around him and it doesn't help that there's injuries to the offensive line there's injuries to tight end there's injuries to defense on some levels too um it feels like I'm not going to say he regrets coming back, Hayden, but on some level, he might be wondering if he can open up a daycare rather than play with these wide receivers. Like it's brutal. It's it's absolutely brutal with all of these pieces. At least they get Mike Evans back next week. But is just one piece in Mike Evans enough when Leonard Fournette is running into the back of his offensive line for 12 carries for 35 yards with a long run of six, a long run of six. Yeah, it, and it felt like that the entire game. Yeah, Mike Evans returning is such a huge deal, though, even if Chris Godwin's out. Julio Jones, we get news that he has a partially torn PCL. That does not sound good uh, at all. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he misses a couple more more weeks here, too. So I think it's going to be Russell Gage and Mike Evans perhaps next week. And Russell Gage would be somewhere on the flex radar at that point. I, I do want to note that he was grabbing his hamstring during this game. Like, this was sloppy. Like, the fact that he was gutting this out is kind of just showing you how bad the Bucks' skill group is right now. And they get the Kansas City Chiefs next. $20 million guaranteed in the three-year contract that Russell Gage has. Let's flip it on over to the Packers, Hayden, because while it's negative on the Bucks end, there's a positive in Romeo Dobbs going eight for 73 and a score on eight targets. Also, Adam Lazard getting back out there for a touchdown and 45 yards. Again, not huge passing numbers from this Packers team, but it's not like they have a perfect complement of pieces around Aaron Rodgers. We've had to have seen some really positive things from Romeo Dobbs after such a great preseason, but not too much action in week one and week two. 
Yeah, they, they got a good thing going between Al Lazard and Romeo Dobbs. Romeo is so athletic, a lot of crossing routes, stuff over the middle, uh, intermediate a little bit for Romeo. And then Al Lazard is the go-to. There was two specific plays, or actually three of them, for Al Lazard. A quick slant in the red zone, just one-step drop, boom, laser for a touchdown earlier in the game. And then later in the game, fourth quarter, uh, they're, uh, Aaron Rodgers at the line of scrimmage, audibling, it's a blitz. He has a slot fade call immediately goes to him for a big game. And then he seals the game uh, with the onside kick. So he's clearly the the veteran, the most trusted Romeo's got way more juice. I hope that it's those two and Christian Wat- Watson kind of just stays as like a, a third piece because I, I like how the offense is set up with these two. But at the end of the day, the Bucks defense, once again, looks very good. Lots of chemistry, lots of experience on the back end. And they got some juice still at, 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 uh, at edge rusher. I still just worry about Alan Lazard because he's only finishing up there because of back-to-back games with a touchdown. Wide receiver 43 in week two, even with the touchdown. And he's the wide receiver 24 with two games to go. Romeo Dobbs led the team in routes run. Can I push back on that a little bit? Because I think sure. a red zone weapon is so important to this team. And I know he's not going to get, you know, 17 touchdowns, like one for mm-hmm. every game. But with how Devontae Adams was used in their package last year inside the 20 and inside the 10, where... You know, Aaron Rodgers has eyes for mainly just one guy. They put him in the right alignment to get the spacing correct. Hayden, it kind of feels like in the last two games, that's what they're using Al Lazard with. And these are super quick passes, like less than one and a half seconds to get these scores with Al Lazard. Yeah, but I'm, I'm kind of like in between. Like, I think that this is somewhat sustainable inside the red zone. I think he's going to be like one of the first reads when they get down there. But at the same time, this is such a balanced offense still. They're obviously still using their two running backs here. Aaron Jones. Uh, my favorite play from this game, it's a third and five from the five yard line. Uh, Aaron Jones in the backfield runs one of those Texas angle routes. And all of a sudden Vita Vea, instead of rushing drops back, they're doing a drop eight with Vita Vea, basically playing linebacker in drills, Aaron Jones for a fumble at the goal line. Aaron Jones nearly scored a touchdown on that play. So this is just two defenses going out of both respect, both of them. I think that the bucks will bounce back eventually, but I would not be surprised if there's growing pains until Chris Godwin gets back at least until Mike Evans gets back next week. And even with all of the absence today for the Bucks, I think it's noteworthy that Rashad White, six snaps, ran a route on those six snaps, every single one, but still only six snaps is a disaster. An equal rushing number for Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, 12 carries a piece and both just over 30 yards. So if neither get in the end zone, neither are going to be successful in this contest. Yeah, it just feels like with the Bucks almost like the first year in some ways that Brady was there with far less weapons where maybe they figure it out towards the end of the season. But it also feels like these injuries are so piled up that it's going to be tough to even be at the peak what they were obviously when they won the Super Bowl because, you know, those teams were just so much better. The injury luck was on their side. And this is what happens when the injury luck just comes crashing down. And again, next week they have the Kansas City Chiefs who are also off a loss. NFC South, though, is going to give them all the time. they Real bad. All the time they need. (laughs) That's true. Next up, John Daigle, Ravens at the Patriots. Lamar Jackson continues to flourish in our eyes. 37-26, Ravens win here with Lamar Jackson completing 18 passes, 218 yards, four scores to go along with another score on the ground and 107 yards. Loads of short touchdowns through three quarters for Lamar Jackson as well. The takeaway, though, is that he's being forced 
to play in this jailbreak scheme, really, where he has to do everything because this defense is a disaster right now. Look on the other side at Devontae Parker's box score going over 100 yards in place of Jacoby Myers. Every single catch, this wasn't just one boom catch. Every catch Parker had today was over 20 yards. They can't stop anyone on defense, which is great for Lamar Jackson and fantasy. We saw J.K. Dobbins active and Kenyon Drake just healthy scratched in his place, but J.K. Dobbins very clearly wasn't ready to play, wasn't at full strength. Thus, Justice Hill got more involved as a in a timeshare. But that also tells you that, okay, Lamar Jackson is to carry the load, and it's not being th- done through Rashad Bateman or Devin DuVernay, who delivers a splash play every now and then. This is strictly just Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews' show all the way down, whether it be 50-50 balls, whether it be balls down the boundary. Like, that's what this offense is right now, a two-man game. It's pretty amazing that last year, Mark Andrews, you know, went to outer space when it was Tyler Huntley and Josh Johnson at quarterback. So if you are fading Mark Andrews, there was a pretty easy out for you to explain and describe why. However, to me, that always overlooked just how good Mark Andrews was with Lamar Jackson last year when he was still the tight end two in fantasy points per game. So we get that final six game usage that he had with those backup quarterbacks now with a better overall quarterback in Lamar Jackson, who is still dealing with a ton of these offensive line injuries like Patrick McCarry left in this game. They had to step in with another backup and they still are throwing it all over the place. I mean, I can't wait Hayden to outline the neutral pass rates in here because even with JK Dobbins coming back and um, I would love to hear how he looked Daigle because it seemed like it was fine. It's still the Lamar Jackson show, and that's awesome for us the rest of the way when he already has, what, two 40-point games under his belt. It's just hard to tell because the offensive line was not good at all, which is also why it led to tons of Lamar Jackson rushing via breakdowns, not called scrambles. And so that's the issue in trying to analyze how J.K. Dobbins looked, but still just a timeshare right now with Justice Hill. That's about it. So I'm actually more curious to see what happens next week as they ramp up his workload. If I'm doing rest of season rankings, Mark Andrews in, is inside my top 10 overall. Like, Love And that. the tight end one. Like, how is this going to go wrong? He's, he's lapping everybody in air yards. I'm sure that's the same thing here. The Ravens are top three in neutral pass rate. They drop back 29 times or uh, 33 times plus whatever Lamar was scrambling around for. Man, I just don't see how this isn't going to be an absolutely ludicrous season for Mark Andrews. So congrats if you got him in the second round. I know we just outlined the offensive line. Two more questions here for the Ravens before we move on to the Patriots, Daigle. Uh, It felt like in the last game that Kenyon Drake and Mike Davis played, that Justin Hill, Justice Hill checked in for the final few snaps and actually looked the best of that group. That carried over into this contest when he has six for 60, most importantly, a 34-yard carry. Um, I want to hear about him if it is almost a two-person backfield. Not that it matters that much in the Ravens' backfield other than Lamar Jackson. But also, I was tracking Rashad Bateman very closely in this game. It felt like Rashad Bateman didn't have a catch until about the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. What gives? Fourth quarter. What's that usage? Completely absent. And there was there were no flags, really. There were no blown opportunities. Uh, it was literally just Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews. But remember, at one point, Lamar Jackson had all four of his touchdowns on 125 passing yards. And so it was just strictly all of his yardage going to Mark Andrews, who made a couple of jump balls as well. He was covered. He just out-jumped his linebacker or cornerback and made the catch. Just nothing to Rashad Bateman in this game as we continue to worry. Even last week, remember, he got on the board late with a deep touchdown, but the the consistent usage hasn't been there for Bateman through three games. Okay, Patriots end. Felt like Mac Jones had some moments in this game. Like Mac Jones showed some athleticism, but in the end, 
he has 321 yards on 22 completions, which makes you seem like it's a vertical passer, but zero touchdowns and three interceptions, almost like an anti Mac Jones game. When you consider like he should be pinpoint, he should have great placement. He should be taking care of the ball and said, this was, Hey, big plays, big time throws, and then being a bit careless with the football. And lots of one-on-one -on -one throws, honestly. Now the picks were bad. And one of them, he knew uh, at the end, it seemed in the fourth quarter, whenever they're down by one score at one point, it very much seemed like he was rushing himself, especially with a couple throws into the end zone, which led to a interception. But overall, the, the turnovers, including the fumble at the end is what cost the Patriots this game. But really it was just Devontae Parker one-on-one. -on -one. That was literally the scheme, and it was unstoppable. Nelson Aguilar didn't get involved for a couple deep splash plays, 15-plus yards downfield. But overall, this was really just all Parker without Myers available. Josh, I, it's not going to matter, though. It seems like Max is going to be out for the yeah. next couple weeks with a high, high ankle, ankle sprain. sprain. Yeah, yeah, no no fracture at least, but high ankle sprains. Even for Mac Jones, you, you still need your ankles intact. So I, I can see him missing multiple weeks here, and that means Brian Hoyer uh, – and that sucks for Devontae Parker because Hayden, he's a player that we had hyped up this summer. He had been silent, really silent, other than that red zone interception in week one. Now that Jacoby Myers was out, maybe this would have given them like the platform for both be successful moving forward. But obviously, Brian Hoyer is much different than, than Mac Jones. Dave, before we move on from this game, talk to me about the backfield situation. Both get a score. Ramondre gets one more carry, 73 yards for him. Damon Harris gets 41 yards. Uh, four receptions for Ramondre, two for Damian Harris. It seems like down the middle and both got home here. And a more of a game plan for the second week in a row, really, because remember the usage behind the scenes for Ramondre Stevenson, as y'all talked about midweek, was actually better than Damian Harris. Damian Harris still got there on the carries and with a touchdown on the goal line, which he did again today. But at one point at the end, Ramondre Stevenson was also in on the goal line and matched Damian Harris with a goal line carry and touchdown as well. And so we've now seen two games back to back where the team has leaned on Ramondre Stevenson quite more than Damian Harris. Harris has gotten there both games with a touchdown. So I do wonder if we should start inching up Ramondre Stevenson even more week to week. All right. I don't think I don't think there's gonna be a big gap in my rankings next week, but I think it's gonna be in the RB threes and not the RB twos if Max out. Uh, Brian Hoyer brings this team down a ton. If a he ton. if he yeah if he starts if they're not going to Bailey Zappi, uh, Brian Hoyer is a disaster. He's an offensive coordinator. Yes. Miami Dolphins beat the Buffalo Bills twenty one to nineteen. Miami improves to three and zero. I don't know exactly how to summarize this game. It's nearly impossible, but this might be the best way to do it. The Bills ran 90 plays. The Dolphins ran 39 plays. The Dolphins had one drive of over six plays. How is that entire even 39? How is that 39 plays. And they won. And the Bills ran 90 plays. And this comes into it a bit later. Let me run through the highlights of this because this is back-to-back -back wild games where I can summarize 20 snaps from the Dolphins of how it led to this. 14 to 14 at halftime. There were some awesome plays by Josh Allen early on, namely absorbing a lot of the nice blitz concepts that the Dolphins had and dumping a ton of passes off of those to Devin Singletary. That's why he ended this contest with the most receptions with nine for 78 yards and a score because Allen would just buy that extra millisecond and then dump it off to him down the field. The Dolphins got their touchdown on a short field and a sack fumble off of one of those nice blitz packages from Javon Holland and then pieced together another touchdown drive of their own that had a number of those intermediate completions that we love to see from them last week, especially over the heart of the middle, middle of the field. Um, just before halftime, I'm sure all of you saw this, 
Tua gets shoved by Matt Milano, roughing the passer penalty, clearly woozy. He's taken to the locker room. Teddy Bridgewater finishes it. Somehow, Tua walks, trots back out there to start the second half. Should we stop here and pause here? Because this is one of the more blatant, hey, I can't stand up on my own. I need my offensive linemen to keep me up. Yet he immediately jumps back in there when the series is happening. The NFLPA is investigating this. Rap sheet has come out and said that it was a back spasm that made him fall. Anyways, this is one of those one crazy moments in a series of about five or six that uh, that included here. Classic NFL stuff right here. We'll see what the uh, investigations, NFL's investigations have always been very truthful. So we'll get to the bottom of it. Don't worry. Follow okay. the money. Second half. The Bills ran 50 plays in the second half and got a total of three points. And that one drive was the start, was their first drive of the second half. 17 to 14, Tua basically has a pick six dropped by the aforementioned Matt Milano. Uh, Bills get the ball back. Zach Moss has a huge run along the sideline of 43 yards. Never thought I would say that in a million years with Zach Moss is outrunning the angles of Miami defensive backs. And it's around this time that the 90 plays start catching up with the Buffalo Bills. Wide receivers, running backs, offensive linemen all start dropping like flies. Cramps, falling on the sideline. Like, they cannot keep up. I think so much of it, one, is just the heat that teams are now going down earlier to Miami to adjust to early on the season. But it's also how the Dolphins' sideline is under shade, whereas the Bills' sideline is completely covered in sunlight, 110, 115 degrees. Literally every single one of these players was falling down and, and being unable to play for three or four snaps in a row. Um, go ahead. That's why I don't take James Cook's usage into account because I was watching this game, but he was involved once all of their players had gone down. Like at one point, like you said, Isaiah McKenzie and Dawson Knox weren't available and Stephon Diggs was limping. So of course, James Cook was involved more. But really, I think, and you were probably getting there, Devin Singletary uh, really stood out for the second week in a row. Because remember, last week, James Cook's 10 carries came in garbage time when it didn't matter at all, when the team didn't play in the fourth quarter, where really they were leaning on Singletary heavily over Zach Moss in week two as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. A couple more plays here, because the play of the game was actually this 30, third and 22 conversion of Tua Vailoa to Jalen Waddell. 17 to 14, the Bills were up again in the heart of the two Bills safeties that were Look playing down. here for the first time. I mean, just a beautiful pass. Who knows how the game would have happened and played out here at the end of the fourth quarter. But I mean, this was the best throw of the contest. And it was exactly the spot where the Bills were missing so many of those players. There was so much more madness towards the end of it where you had the butt punt you had Josh Allen missing a wide open Isaiah McKenzie on the right sideline. Another chance for this team to uh, have another scoring drive towards the end where they couldn't spike the ball and, and get enough points on the board. Uh, overall, again, I don't know what this means for both of these teams other than the Bills should have had four more plays and four more points on the board because of the plays that they ran. And the Dolphins, Hayden, we are here through three weeks and they've won each of these games in like three different ways. And I think that actually speaks to a legitimately good football team. 
yeah, I you have to take him pretty pretty serious right now. Obviously, we love what Mike McDaniel did last week. Can't wait to watch this game. Uh, I think their offense is pretty straightforward just because the ball is going to go to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle when they have more plays. I did notice Chase Edmond gets two touchdowns. I'm assuming they're goal line touchdowns uh, or red zone touchdowns. We ha- we haven't had any goal line opportunities for either of the running backs leading to this game, so that's somewhat notable. I was just going to ask you, Bill's concerns was Gabe Davis okay? Dawson Knox, is it just cramping weird games? Was it like, is there like, were we right to be ranking Gabe Davis lower off that ankle injury, or did we get lucky or somewhere in between? So, especially because every time I looked up, Isaiah in the first half, too, before everyone was dehydrated or injured, Isaiah McKenzie was used heavily, it seemed like. Oh, he was. And it was a lot of the man cover stuff, the sending the extra person. And then Isaiah McKenzie is perfect in that role. We should all be taking our victory laps, especially you, Hayden, the Isaiah McKenzie call, because he's perfect for this team, especially when they play a defense like the Dolphins. I don't think Gabriel Davis was going to play as much as he did in this contest. Jake Kumaro was getting snaps early on. Then Jake Kumaro left with an ankle injury during the second quarter. Gabriel Davis dropped the touchdown himself, got both feet down. The Dolphins corner did a great job in the end zone of ripping the ball away when Gabe was just about to celebrate. So then that touchdown gets wiped off the board. Um, and yeah, I mean, Devin Singletary was all checkdowns against linebackers. Um, some was in the flow of the offense. Some was on extended plays too. But Dawson Knox got a helmet-to-helmet hit of his own. Yeah, it's – and to your point, Chase Edmonds, it was two goal line touches, like one yard carries basically. So at least I think we do know that he he was here as the – and will be moving forward as the goal line back. It's – um. Again, I, I am unconcerned about the Bills because of all the deficiencies that they've had heading into this team. But I, I don't want to say that and for Dolphins fans to get upset with me trying to take away from this victory. It was just a wild, wild contest. And I think the Dolphins deserve a ton of praise because, again, this game was so different than last week's game. And they are just a very timely team, both offensively and defensively, that takes advantage of of the mistakes of the opposition. And they certainly did that today with the Bills. Crazy stuff. You guys are going to really enjoy watching that one on on Monday. And I did a horrible disservice to it, uh, trying to outline it there. And to just to add quick numbers to what I mentioned earlier, Devin Singletary out snapped Zach Moss 67 to 16 today. Wow. That's a huge, huge improvement. Okay. Next up, let's go to the Chiefs at the Colts, John Daigle, because this one was shocking to me. I spent way too much of my energy talking about Patrick Mahomes against a Gus Bradley led defense cover one and cover three. But in the end, the Colts win 22 17 and Patrick Mahomes can only muster 262 passing yards, one score and one interception. Everything looked hard. Everything was tough unless Travis Kelsey was matched across from Zaire Franklin on third down. Just no place got done for the Chiefs for the second week in a row. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster did find himself open in man coverage from time to time, or he found himself the spot in the zone to settle. But overall, it's just tough right now. Uh, we also were told by Eric Bieniemy, remember, that he promised Sky Moore would play more than two snaps. But the Colts got an early lead because Sky Moore muffed the punt that allowed the Colts to get the ball back and score inside the 10-yard line immediately to open the game. And then on the second punt, with a little bit of PTSD in his mind, uh, Sky Moore 
didn't field it when the ball dropped in the 15 and just let it rolled instead. And the Colts downed it at the one. So uh, a little bit, a few rookie mistakes there that he struggled to get back on the field. I believe he played six snaps total in this game, whatever, but overall it was more of the same from the chiefs, honestly, and everything's, everything's just hard. That's the issue right now is if you don't have a Tyreek Hill who can separate, like what do you do when Travis Kelsey's covered? And I think that was an extension of the game because even the Colts, didn't look good themselves. Uh, the Chiefs did a tremendous job of stuffing Jonathan Taylor. Michael Pittman basically was unspottable in the first half. He did all his damage mostly in the fourth quarter. So overall, it was a game the Chiefs should have won, but they did not. Feels like they don't have a jump start. You know, they they don't have something electric that can get anything going. And Sky Moore digging that hole for them and forcing that slow start, like you outlined the muff punt, and then allowing it drop to the one. As you just said, they 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 don't have a a piece of electricity that can kick them into gear and create big explosives. Like Travis Kelsey has some over the middle of the field, but he's also over the age of 31. MVS has not hit a big play at all. And the closest thing to that today was a Juju Smith Schuster 53-yard catch. But even that, I'm not gonna say look slow or lethargic, but it was, you know, based off some poor tackling on the defensive side of the ball. CEH also had a 20-yard catch, and that counted for like 75% of his total production in the box score. Just nothing with everything else. They tried to get Jaron McKinnon going. They gave Isaiah Pacheco a few carries when it matters. No one could move the ball today. It's so shocking. I was surprised that they ran the ball so much. I was looking at like their neutral pass rate stuff, and it was not like as drastic as I would have expected. I'm very curious to see why Clyde Edwards-Hilaire caught uh, all five of his targets, and Jarek McKinnon, traditionally the passing down back, only gets one and like you were saying creating explosion they need anything like that McCole Hardman I know we always talk shit on him for like what he is as a receiver but like he is the jump start he is the return man he is the guy to give a, a carry to he is the guy to give a screenplay throw something downfield for him on trickeration he only gets one opportunity today a couple things they go like even saying all that the Chiefs should have won this game right like they faked a field goal and that was failed then they missed basically another chip shot field goal they hit both of those, and it's so clear that you know Andy Reid just doesn't trust his field goal unit right now without Harrison Butker. Then they win twenty-three to twenty. Like, I, I'm not saying that the Colts were bad or the Colts should be good or whatever. The Colts, the Colts averaged three point eight yards per play. You oh, can say awful. they were. You can say they were bad. Yes, uh, we are still in a zone where we are worried about Matt Ryan. Uh, who may, well, he is an upgrade on Carson Wentz, but we're seeing that it may not be too much of an upgrade right now for Indianapolis, that they got by because of the, the, the Chiefs' mistakes, not really anything they did on their own. Just real quick, Michael Pittman's going to finish like top 10 in target share and all that stuff. It's it's just him out there. They did get Naeem Hines more involved is, too with five It is just him and... Yards. A couple more, yeah, Naheem Hines snaps. But overall, we saw Pittman and Pierce both return to the lineup. Ashton Doolin shrunk to the team's fourth receiver. They just went right back to Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell in two wide sets, Alec Pierce in three wide sets, Ashton Doolin number four. Matt Ryan sacked five times here in this game. He simply can't move. Uh, lots, of, lots of backpedaling and lobbing the ball up in this game. It's an instant reaction show, Dago. So I'm going to ask you, do the Chiefs heading into week four have enough firepower when we get to the AFC championship game or the Super Bowl to match up with some of the best teams in the league, the Buffalo Bills, the Miami Dolphins, the Philadelphia Eagles. Do they have enough firepower, enough electricity, and other playmakers? They changed their offense last year from week eight on. Totally different offense. Uh, I would imagine because Andy Reid is such a good coach, they can figure something out. 
Now, the issue is no one's coming, right? Like, no, there is no hero off the bench. This is your offense. These are your players. Maybe if you want to play Justin Watson a little more, I guess, but no one's coming to save you. You have to figure it out. The good news is, because I was thinking about this as well, the good news is what we thought was a good division of football, no one wants to win. The Broncos, the Broncos don't want to win. The Chargers don't want to win. The Raiders don't want to win. So, like, the Chiefs aren't losing any ground and being and struggling right now. That's the good news. Okay. Let's now go over in Winks to the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals, a game that closed quickly after it looked like the Rams were going to dominate this contest. In the end, they hold on to the victory 20-12 through Ben Skoranek being the team's leading receiver, four receptions for 66 yards. Yeah, Jordan Rodriguez uh, is calling him Ben Skron neck roll because he's playing all this fullback and it's working. Like all their explosives are coming off of this fullback stuff. He's a wide receiver, but they line him up at fullback to get some weird mismatches up there. Uh, let's start with the running backs. Daryl Henderson got some early run. Cam Akers uh, had a couple of good runs, a 14-yard touchdown. At the end of the game, he does fumble it at the goal line. And that kind of goes back to what uh, Sean McVay was saying earlier on. You just got to be more consistent. And Cam Akers came up short there again. So we're going to go into next week, flipping coins over Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers. And then uh, in the past game, Matthew Stafford, super boom bust as, as usual, did not score any touchdowns. I think that was just kind of bad luck. Cooper Cup, rare, bad game for him, four for 41 or four for 44. Uh, my other big note here, Allen Robinson, there was a play man coverage at like the five yard line and he runs a little slant route. The ball goes right through his hands. He would have walked in for a touchdown there. Didn't really do much uh, outside of that. A couple screens to Tyler Higby in this game, pretty much just kind of stalled out for the Rams. Nothing too explosive uh, in general. So should we be nervous about Allen Robinson? Hayden, should we be nervous about Allen Robinson who had a touchdown going through his hands, had a nice week two, but here we go. If we couple week one, and week three together, it's basically two receptions for or three receptions for 30 yards, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, he, he seems like he's going to be a wide receiver three flex. I mean, so if you're drafting, we're, we're drafting him in the fourth round, then yeah, we should be nervous. I'm not like not fully nervous. Like he's still out there every single every single damn snap. We know that the Rams offense is good. I, I there hasn't been like I haven't like watched him like run in a straight line. I'm like, oh, he looks washed. Like yeah. it's, it hasn't been that. It's been it's been everything else, which is so weird for a like a veteran to be going through but who knows could, could it also be that the rams just do not use a preseason we know that matthew stafford was sidelined at portions of this training camp because they were nursing his elbow and like they just do not have the timing here even though we saw odell learn in like a three game span on the fly then taking it the rest of the way and be such a critical piece of their super bowl title maybe it just will take some time to develop as we go along i will say if, if we're going to be a positive in the in the feather of Allen robinson's cap it's the usage inside the 10 and usage inside the 20. Like that is still such a critical piece for this Rams team. And it's clear that he is a go-to player in that area other than Cooper Cup. I also think it's that we're looking for the second receiver, right? Like Robert Woods floating by last year in the first eight games. Then Odell Beckham comes in floating by behind Cooper Cup. You could argue the second receiver is Tyler Higby, who has 24 targets through three games now. Like, so Allen Robinson may be just the third receiver. And that's a big issue considering Cooper Cup still soaks up everything else. Yeah, the Tyler Higby, there's multiple screens. And I think there's even a, a screen that was called back for holding that time to show up in the box score here. At the end of the day, I mean, it was still 20% target share for Allen Robinson. At the end of the day, Matthew Stafford only throws 25 times here. So that kind of plays into it. So I, I think like 
should we like recenter expectations? Yes. Should we fully panic? Probably not. This was just not a good fantasy week for wide receivers, except for the next one we're going to talk about in the Cardinals. Yeah, do that. Marquise Brown, 17 targets, 14 receptions, 140 yards. This is a player who was going up against a banged up Rams secondary who we had not seen a huge play from this season. And even in this game, Hayden, his long catch was of 20 yards. So we're still not getting that huge game-breaking 60-yard score from Hollywood Brown that I was expecting to see from Kyler Murray. Instead, he's turned into a, a volume-type player. Well, yeah, they, they were in trailing mode the entire game. Kyler Murray, 58 pass attempts here. So it was a bunch of check downs. Uh, Aaron Donald was in the backfield for a couple for a couple snaps. Uh, but yeah, Marquise Brown was missed downfield barely a couple mm. times here. If he comes down with those, we're talking about like a legendary uh, Marquise Brown game. But yeah, he was just dominating underneath. Uh, Jalen Ramsey was on him sometimes. Sometimes he wasn't on there. And he's by far the most explosive player uh, James Conner doesn't look fully healthy. He was battling out there. Was a, a bit of a rotation. Daryl Williams was in there at times in the two-minute drill. You know, Benjamin definitely involved a little bit. Uh, really, there was one uh, wildcat carry for James Conner, but otherwise didn't really have many opportunities, at least catches three passes. But really, it's just Zach Ertz, Marquise Brown, and then Greg Dorch in garbage time, kind of in that Rondale Moore plus role. Uh, A.J. Green leaves with a knee injury late in the game. Uh, who knows how long he's going to be out for. I know the Cardinals are one and two, Hayden. It hasn't been beautiful. In fact, near the At goal all. line, Cliff Kingsbury got creative and did some yo-yo motions with Kyler Murray and then did a snap straight to James Conner, which if your creativity is to not have Kyler Murray touch the football in the short yards field, what the hell are you doing? But once like we in game seven hits, maybe having Marquise Brown, who was not just used on the left side, like we've seen him for 90% of the snaps. It felt like they were getting him on the right side and sometimes in the slot in this game too, getting DeAndre Hopkins back. If they can like maintain a 500 record by the time we get there, the offense, if Nuke comes in and looks good, has pieces. It has pieces now. Yeah, I think we're still a week away, maybe maybe two weeks away for Rondell Moore. So I don't know who the Cardinals are playing next week. I haven't checked, but Marquise Brown, I think is going to dominate targets again. And for the Rams side, like just going into this game, why I was so high on Marquise Brown, cornerback two, three, four, all injured right now. And the rest of them, like we know how like top heavy this Rams uh, roster is. When you remove two, three, and four cornerbacks, all of a sudden you're dealing with players we have never heard of. One fire note, I don't know if we talked enough about this. Cam Akers dominated the backfield touches. I know he had like one series where he looked unreal. The rest, he also had a goal line fumble and didn't get the job done the rest of the time. Is this now flipped from where we are in week three versus what we thought this backfield was going to be in week one? Yeah, I have no confidence what it's going to be next week. <laughs> it literally is at the end of the game when Cam Akers fumbles. And yeah. Sean McVay literally called out that he's not consistent enough. He's got to play better. He And then we have this. Okay. Eagles at Commanders means the Philadelphia Eagles completely dominate the Washington Commanders. 24 to eight with all 24 of those points happening in the first half. To be honest with you guys, I shut this game off at halftime because there were five sacks on Carson Wentz's first four drives, including two strip sacks. I think six sacks at halftime. It was exactly how we projected this contest where Carson Wentz would plant his feet. The vertical passing was completely non-existent other than one Terry McLaurin 45-yard catch because he had no time to get there, that the Eagles defensive line was all over it. And so really the only two positive plays in the first three drives of the Washington Commanders 
or manufactured plays to Curtis Samuel shorter and closer to the field. But that's enough time spent on the Washington Commanders because what we really need to focus on are two players that have transcended the types of games that we saw from last season. And the first is Jalen Hurts. Um, we saw it last week where he has started to see the field so much better, right? And then we continue it on into this game where now it's to the left sideline. It's to the right sideline. It's to the middle of the field. Like his vision cone is so much wider than it used to be. 22 of 35, 340 yards and three scores to go along with another 20 yards on the ground. I don't see how this is going to fail moving forward because the areas where he might've held the football too long or had turnover worthy plays, so on and so forth last season, Hayden, it feels like all of those have evaporated. And now we're just getting a complete quarterback who's in complete confidence and complete control of this offense that is built along the offensive line and loaded with skill position players too. Yeah. Every single year, he just outperforms expectations. That's what Jalen Hurts is all about. Obviously getting Devonta Smith and AJ Brown is how you really take this offense to the next level. I'm curious, are people that didn't have elite quarterbacks, are they going to stop watching our show and just stop setting their lineups? Cause their teams have no chance when they Jalen no hurts, chance. Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen are getting the volume and have the weapons around them and have the skill set that they have. How do you start? Like, like I like Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow had a good game. He, they're getting lapped and it's, and it's so sustainable. It's so predictable. If you're doing like, if I mean, Jalen hurts with like a six round pick. I would be ranking the like second round if we were doing drafts right now. So Jalen Hurts, Devonta Smith, both amazing today, no doubt about it. But also remember, like this commander's defense is a tragedy. Like, but this isn't a one week thing. It was last week too. Like, I know that's what I'm saying. We talked about them against the Lions last week. Now we get to talk about them the Eagles. Like, it's very clear. Like, everyone becomes Devonta Smith and Jalen Hurts when they play the line when they play the commander's defense. Well, and I'm very was... hot. I'm. Ve I don't mean that as a as a negative comment towards Hertz and Smith. They were awesome. Smith made some amazing catches today. Oh, but yeah. this, is a, this is a weekly constant from the commander's defense. This is what happens. What I was saying was we saw this from Devontae Smith last weekend too. Like it was a poor week one. A.J. Brown went off and we talked about Hayden stats versus film. Devontae Smith got two early targets, but they were all glued to the right sideline. Now what we are seeing and so many, and let me pull this up again from Jalen Hurts, because it's these shorter passes that are nice conversions. Almost all those were completed. And then you get these chunk gains, right, of 18 yards, of 35 yards. That deep shot on the right sideline, 40-plus yards down the field, was Devontae Smith playing long. He played so big in this game. In fact, that catch on the right sideline, next gen stats charted it as the most difficult catch of the entire season so far. More than the George Pickens catch that we saw. Yeah, on I was going to say they, their model must, must have missed a, a certain play from last Thursday. No, I mean, what they have it as is it was 58.7 air yards, a sideline distance of half a yard. It was an 8.1% probability of a catch, the most improbable completion so far this season. And it's again, the 165, 172 pound Deva, uh, Devontae Smith playing so long and so big. He also, again, mossed someone else for a touchdown later on in this game. What we are seeing, again, is these players being used for multiple alignments. I mean, A.J. Brown basically got his for 85 yards and a score, but Devontae going 12 targets, 8 receptions, 169 and a score. They are focusing it between these two players, and it's beautiful to see. Again, 
it's too big to fail at this moment. Something tragic has to happen to it or they have to completely go off the rails because there's nothing I can poke holes in, and say, oh, if a team just shut this down, then they're going to be concerned. I mean, the running game had 30 carries for 72 yards and Jalen Hurts had 20 of that. It's a pass first unit and they are thriving as a pass first unit. Yeah, Jalen I've heard... Hurts. I haven't ran the numbers, but I'm guessing this is their highest neutral pass rate game in a very long time. Jalen Hurts scored 27 fantasy points, didn't score a rushing touchdown, averaged 2.2 yards per carry. Didn't matter at all. 154 yards at the half for Devontae Smith. 154 yards at the half. The one-on-one in a post on the left side. Again, that one around the right sideline. Moss, the defensive back on fourth and one. A critical play when you need it the most. Flipping back over to, to Terry McLaurin, he had one target, um, I think, by the time halftime hit. And they're not going to face the Eagles every single week. But again, Dag, we keep talking about it. When it's he and Jahan Dotson with like 16 A dots, and Curtis Samuel is the one that goes 10 targets for seven receptions for 48 yards, that's how it's going to have to work. Um, because that's where the easy stuff, that's where the easy stuff goes to. It is, although it's a lot of still a backfield committee. It's mostly Miles Sanders, correct? And still when the game is competitive? Yeah. I mean, again, I shut this off at halftime because Fair. I wanted yeah. to pay attention to the other games. But Miles Sanders looks good when he gets the edge. They just are like among the bills of pass first teams right now because it's all it's all powering so far ahead right now. Um, okay. Hayden, you had the, let me find it, Cincinnati Bengals and the New York Jets. The Joe Flacco receipts era seems to have clunked into a one week bit from Robert Sala as the Bengals dominate this contest 27 to 12 with Joe Burrow on paper, getting back on track 275 yards and three scores. Did it look even better when watching this contest? Well, they opened the game, the jets in cover zero cover one cover three, all the single high coverages that we're looking for. And it was immediate how aggressive the Bengals were going to, be in this game they win the coin toss and they elect to receive which is like new for them like they have a flea flicker early on in the game the the second drive they have uh jamar chase in the backfield throws throw a pass to him he ends up fumbling it the first 10 plays are all passes one one run mixed in on the first drive and it was just chunk game chunk game chunk game t higgins in isolation they had uh sauce gardner in isolation tyler boyd on a, a full blitz works over the middle, breaks a tackle, goes for a long touchdown. This is exactly why we thought this would be a great matchup for the Bengals because the Jets are the Jets. This is the way that their defense is set up, and they just don't have the dogs to make it work right now. So I think the Jets were going to continue to be uh, looking for explosive plays against them. They have their linebacker probably out for the season with a broken ankle as well. I thought the Bengals' offensive line looked all right. And uh, the other last storyline is – Joe Mixon, he leaves late in the game with a little ankle injury. He's always kind of battling an ankle injury, but right now he's on pace for over a hundred targets. He's his career high is 55. And the difference is he's still uh, getting subbed out on a lot of the passing downs, but he's playing some of them and they're designing a lot of plays like swing passes and screen passes to Joe Mixon early on. So assuming Joe Mixon's healthy, we know he's going to be the goal back. We know his offense is going to be good. I think there's a chance Joe Mixon's going to finish the top five fantasy running back. All of a sudden, these targets right now are way higher than anybody was projecting. When I'm looking at this, and it's so difficult to tell without diving into it, but the Steelers played more cover two than we were accustomed to seeing them. 
and they dominated Joe Burrow in week one. We know the Cowboys jumped their cover two rate by about 20% last week. Does it feel like Robert Sala was like, heck no, we're still going to blitz. We're going to get home to Joe Burrow and he's just going to crush us on the blitz and we're going to go out on our sword and he just took advantage of it? Yeah, for the, for the most part. I think maybe in the second half they might have made some adjustments. But, but early on, there was a lot of plays just down the field, Sauce Gardner and isolated coverage. Uh, and Sauce Gardner was, was keeping pace. It was just T. Higgins and Jamar Chase and everybody making good plays. Uh, but the, the long touchdown was a, f- a full blitz, and they just took advantage of him. And I saw that Tyler Boyd's 50-yard touchdown was literally just a yep. non-rat tackles. Like, it yep. wasn't anything he did, really, except bounce off the tackler. Uh, jet side. I see Brees Hall getting 11 targets in this game. That's more than Elijah Moore, who had 10. That's more than Garrett Wilson, who I know left this contest for a bit, who had 10. Uh, was this check down Joe Flacco? Oh, or yeah. was it actually design stuff to Brees Hall? No, this was this was all check down stuff. Brees Hall definitely played more snaps this game than he was playing the first couple games, uh, just because the, the way the game script played out. Uh, it was very clear that the Bengals were going to run away with this game. Uh, so it was just check downs to Brees Hall. Uh, Elijah Moore uh, only ca- catches four of his 10 targets. Pretty frustrating day for him. It seemed like he was always just like just short of a bigger play. And then Garrett Wilson, straight hospital ball. I would say that's the story of the game for the, for the Jets. Joe Flacco, the hospital balls he was throwing today were egregious. Garrett Wilson takes a huge hit, probably messes up his ribs, comes back in, into the game, actually holds on to that one. Uh, he was playing well ahead of Braxton Berrios. Berrios comes in there for a couple snaps, but right now Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore are just competing for the most targets. And I think the difference with Joe Flacco is it's hike one step, three step drop, and just throw it to the person right in the flats. I'm not sure if we're going to get that with Zach Wilson. I think it's gonna be a lot more scrambling around and just hucking in more prayer yards and the Jets offensive line still just so banged up. They're trying to figure it out over there. I would not call it a good offensive line even though before the season we were hoping that it would be. And I saw, yeah, George Fant got benched today, left tackle. Um, just a lot more injuries to look at here, given the fact that we're waiting out Joe Mixon and Garrett Wilson. Yeah, and Zach Wilson should be coming back next week. Obviously, this Joe Flacco performance doesn't uh, quell that timeline at all. Do and you know what he I heard? Pittsburgh Steelers. What did you hear? Third quarter, the broadcasters were made a note. They, there were Jets fans chanting for Mike White. Oh. The white guy. They're going Mike White. Mike. Not just white. this podcast. Okay, that's, where this, that's where this organization's at right now. I know a bunch of you are going to hop over to Sunday Night Football. Before you do, be sure to subscribe to the channel. We'll be talking more about Garrett Wilson if he's playing over Corey Davis on the Tuesday Stats versus Film Show. You'll love the channel. Hit subscribe. Leave a thumbs up before you leave. John Daigle. Next up, Detroit Lions lose on the road to the Minnesota Vikings, twenty-eight to twenty-four. A very competitive contest, one we were looking forward to which I think matched its total of 50 here. Uh, I saw a lot of murmurs of don't tell me Kirk Cousins is good. And then Kirk Cousins throws 260 yards and two touchdowns. And we've had a bunch of injuries throughout here. Most notably of those 260 yards, Daigle, what the hell gives when Justin Jefferson and really back-to-back games goes three for 14. And the reason the Lions lost was much of their own doing. Uh, Viking, they had a 24-14 lead entering the fourth quarter. The Vikings scored, cutting it to one score, and the Lions get stuffed then going back down the field on a fourth and one stretch run to Jamal Williams. Williams, of course, who was in for quite a bit because not only did DeAndre Swift 
limited throughout the week with the ankle injury. I thought he was going to be at full health. I thought they were just scaling him back a little bit. Was not the case from the very beginning. It was still the Jamal Williams show. And then Swift reportedly suffered a minor shoulder injury in game. Something to watch happen here, even though we now know that it's all Craig Reynolds behind DeAndre Swift whenever he's injured. But nonetheless, Jamal Williams stuffed on the Vikings 30. Troy gets the ball back. Misses a field goal in their next possession after forcing the Vikings into a turnover on downs. So then it's a one-score game with just a few minutes left. Vikings go 56 yards in 26 seconds, thanks to Kirk Cousins and K.J. Osborne, on four plays for the go-ahead score. And Goff throws a pick on second and 10 on the final drive with 20 seconds remaining, which is why the Lions then move to one and two now. But overall, yes, the Lions continue moving the ball along. The issue really is the Vikings offense. They got it done today due to Dalvin Cook because Detroit's front seven has struggled immensely to open the year against opposing running attacks. That's why he was a Cook was a pretty big key player in DFS today. A lot of people were on him. Um, also suffered an injury today, Dalvin Cook. The chronic shoulder injuries he's been battling the past couple of years. He it wasn't sounds wearing like a harness. It's dislocated. Nope. But Mike Florida is already saying that he's going to play next week, which. Yep. That seems kind of nuts. And remember the last time he had this questionable then played, he went for over 200 yards on a primetime game. So I don't know what to do with him. We'll talk about that as the week moves along. And sorry, I have to bring this up, Daigle. There was speculation in training camp that Alexander Madison would be replaced as the backup running back in Minnesota. It's so clearly Alexander Madison, and he ran over the Lions defense for a goal line score in this game too. Like if Dalvin Cook ever misses, we should then again pencil in even with this new coaching staff and Backroom staff, Alexander Madison for 13 touches. And it probably doesn't matter, but we should still note that Ty Chandler wasn't active in this game because they weren't expecting a Dalvin Cook injury. But again, you're right. It probably doesn't matter at all. Since Madison came right in, still ran the routes like Dalvin Cook did. 14 routes to Dalvin Cook's 15 was Cook left the game and then handled every running back touch behind him. So yes, it is still Alexander Madison. The issue is that it seemed like there were more of one read schemes directed toward Adam Thielen because he had the softer coverage in this game as Justin Jefferson basically disappears for the second game in a row. Is this Jeffrey Okuda? Yes, yes. And who Jeffrey Okuda, who, mind you, like doesn't move to the slot at all either. Like, he until looks good this, at the last week, too. Yeah. Uh, Irv Smith gets six targets as well, but also his targets are essentially dump-offs. Um, they bring him in. So he is used concertedly, but then they have no issues taking him off the field and playing Ben Elfson or Johnny Mutt here if they need someone to block. Uh, it's very clear how they use Irv Smith and concerted his ways, which is very dangerous for his fantasy usage. But yeah, Justin Jefferson disappears not not really back, to back Kirk, weeks, not really by Kirk Cousins is doing. I think it was actually more due to play calling, honestly enough, because Thielen was involved heavily. Thoughts, Hayden? I mean, next week for two hundred and fifty yards, like they're they're gonna figure this out. Like I'm not. I'm not moving. I'm not making a single adjustment for Justin Jefferson. Interesting. Okay. Can I be devil's advocate here? Because week one against the Packers, it was nice usage, but it was kind of more the same, more outside than the slot. Uh, and week one against the Packers, it was a bunch of blown coverages while he was wide open. You know, it wasn't a lot of volume. It was just a bunch of blown coverages. Like in the last two weeks when we haven't seen blown coverages, Justin Jefferson's not even getting 50 yards. I'll watch a game on all 22 and I'll have notes for everybody on Tuesday. Um, Daigle, since it's so difficult to heal in season, Jamal Williams, 20 carries for 87 yards. We already knew he was the goal line back. But if DeAndre Swift's ankle, we're never going to know if like he steps right back into the 15 carry DeAndre Swift role until it happens, right? Because Jamal Williams did not look bad in this contest. And like, if anything, 
it gives them a little bit more belief and trust to at least make this 50-50 in true running back carries, and if not more, leaning into Jamal Williams while Swift is hobbled. And Detroit has now scored 35, 36, and 24 points in their first three games. Like, you want the goal line running back, which is what Jamal Williams is when they get inside the five. Uh, even in week one, when Swift was healthy, didn't matter. He came off the field. Jamal Williams came in for, for I think it was all but one touch inside the 10-yard line. That's Jamal Williams' role. So I continue starting him, like, in my zero RB builds, think, knowing that the Lions are still going to score points. It's just their defense and quarterback play that's a mess right now. I think today's Swift thing, it wasn't the ankle. I think it was the shoulder that was actually the concern here. So that, that could be even potentially worse news. It kind of depends on what type of shoulder injury. Uh, too early in the week to tell. But in the meantime, Jamal Williams, man, great touchdown dance over there. That was that was getting me going. <laughs> Jacksonville Jaguars absolutely dominate oh. the Los Angeles Chargers 38-10. to 10. And to be honest with you guys, it could have been even more. They had three drives stall out at the Chargers five-yard line that they settled for field goals in every single one of those instances. But Trevor Lawrence, 28 of 39, 262, and three touchdowns, had his best Tom Brady on in this because he was getting the football out in 2.39 seconds, his time to throw, second quickest in of this week. And the way that Doug Peterson is scripting everything. Zay Jones having a massive day of 10 receptions for 85 yards and a score. You're damn right I'm talking about him of all the Jaguar skill players first. Christian Kirk getting it done with another 35-yard gain, a score for 72 total yards and nine targets. James Robinson having this massive run of 50 yards. James Robinson is a big play threat out of the backfield, maybe more so he ever has been since before his Achilles injury. It was his awesome play, I believe, on fourth and one. That was basically a power counter that you saw Evan Ingram crash down against two defensive backs on the left side of the Chargers defensive line, a pulling guard in front of James Robinson untouched for 50 yards. And then as the game went along, Travis Etienne had a perfectly timed pass pro rep against Derwin James that allowed Trevor Lawrence to hit a big play down the field. And then he was given himself 13 carries for 45 yards. It's all going perfectly this Jaguars team, they are two and one, and they are more than frisky, more than frisky. It's amazing to see how different this team looks this year, not just on an individual level, let's say at the quarterback position, but at a full team level, also defensively, because they get after it. They're front seven right now. I mean, you got Trayvon Walker, who looked incredible today. I saw him dropping into coverage a couple of times to show what the athlete he is. Josh Allen coming off the edge last week was a total menace. Uh, some of their free agent signings on the interior getting going crazy and then i see devin lloyd pop up in this game too so all of a sudden the jaguars defense they've invested like they're they're trying on the defense and it, it showed up the the first uh, couple weeks of the season but i think like the big storyline is uh it's i'm not sure if it's trevor lawrence getting better or if it's just doug peterson or just a better skill skill group but it's a functional offense i think that the jaguars should be the favorites to win the afc south for sure the chargers going the opposite direction first quarter joey bosa leaves with a groin injury immediately to the locker room uh, in the third quarter, Rayshon Slater leaves with what seems to be a biceps injury out for the rest of the game. I mean, those are already two key pieces with Keenan Allen out of this contest too. Justin Herbert needing a shot. And for some reason, Brandon Staley leaves Justin Herbert in deep into this game when they're down by 21 points. And he keeps taking hits at, at the pocket depth as well. Because again, you have Trayvon Walker, Josh Allen, Dawayne Smoot, 
Arden Key, like all these dudes attacking a depleted offensive line, it makes no sense to leave him in there for that long. Even from the early on, though, like Justin Herbert's first interception was off of play action, and it goes through the hands of Sony Michelle, who tips it up and goes in the hands of Devin Lloyd. Like early game stuff that's still neutral or slightly negative. Sony Michelle and Joshua Kelly are, are stepping in here for Austin Eckler. This is not going away. Um, and it's something to watch, especially as the Chargers continue to get banged up and are one and two right now this season. Yeah, and Twitter is really coming after Lombardi. And I think for for good reason. This offense has just been stuck in the mud. Uh, they need speed. They need a lot of things right now. They need Keenan Allen back. They need Justin Herbert at full health. But it was Corey Lindsley and Rayshon Slater, the two best offensive linemen. Uh, Zion Johnson's still really good too, but that's their top two offensive linemen at center and left tackle, the two most important positions. Man, we'll see. Injuries to to follow. Joey Bosa it's, might miss a couple weeks. It's because nothing changed. And I understand like we were hoping for a little bit. Like we were hoping in year two under both Lombardi and Staley, the first time since Oregon, Herbert kept the same quarterback coach, head coach, and offensive coordinator that we thought, okay, like uh now they trust each other. They will allow him to go downfield more. It may genuinely just come back to the talent and not having that true downfield separator and relying on 50-50 balls. Like through two games, Justin Herbert still had a six-and-a-half-yard depth of target. And you see the running back targets in this specific game, which we could also lean into the ribs narrative, just getting rid of the ball quickly. But also it's what he showed the first two games as well in this offense. Yeah, Jalen Guyton had one deep shot that opened basically the third quarter, and it was a 54-yarder that was a beautiful toss by Justin Herbert. But the rest of it is basically trying to create yards after catch opportunities to guys who aren't yards after catch players, like Joshua Palmer was their best yards after catch player. You know, Mike Williams luckily gets this one catch for a touchdown that is a contested catch, but I'm with you. It's it's As we talked about with the Chiefs to open this conversation, a lack of juice. The Charters certainly have a lack of juice as well. What's Will okay. Fuller doing? Anything? No, no. <laughs> Anything at all? This is this is what we called for way back in the day. Uh, that doesn't seem like it is. Uh, it is very likely. Okay, Daigle, your last game of the weekend was the Falcons at the Saints. Marcus Mariota leads every quarterback in Week Three in intended air yards per attempt at fifteen point seven. Marcus Mariota, while albeit not perfect, still was able to support Kyle Pitts five for 87 and Drake London three for 54 and a touchdown. And uh, the Pitts usage is slightly overrated because he got half of his targets on the first drive. It was very clearly Arthur Smith just trying to get everyone out of, his, <laughs> out of his mentions. And then like, they basically just forgot about him. He had one catch in the second half. So whatever. Uh, but yes, go ahead and take it. Really. This game comes down to chaos. Like when two bad football teams play each other, a lot of the times it's not good. The results here are fun because no one has any idea how to stop the other one. Geno Smith even had a nine and a half depth of target. It wasn't shallow like his 81% completion rate showed last week. These are actually some shots, and he still completed 76% of his passes. Really how the Falcons got it done was not through the air either. Their running game could not be stopped by the Seahawks. Had no chance whatsoever. Cordero Patterson, a career high, 141 yards. The Falcons over averaged over seven yards per carry. And it wasn't like Patterson was touch-wise he was featured. But he only outsnapped Tyler Ajir 35 to 21. It was really just a ton of explosive plays for this offense. And on the same, the other side of the ball, opposite world, and that Geno Smith was getting it done with a ton of explosive plays through the air, and no one had an answer for either side. It's Cordero Patterson, the best looking 31 year old in the league, at least at running back, like the best one we've ever seen. It's crazy 
what he's doing. 17 carries for 141 yards and one score. Daigle, you know this, at least in best ball leagues, Tyler Algier was drafted in every single one. It is so noticeably different. Not to crush Tyler. We're in a league together, even though he sends awful trades to us, by the way. The worst trades you've ever seen. It's his first time. But it is so noticeably different in the la in the disparity of talent between Cordero Patterson touches and Tyler Algier touches. It's not even close. It's, it's genuinely not even close. That's why I think they're learning that just like the first half of last year, they have to keep put Patterson on the field because they don't have anyone else that can make plays in the running game at least. And so like getting in the ball is a good thing for this offense. Uh, we'll see if his use just continues to grow, at least on the field opportunity wise but right now, at least for touches, like they are hammering him as their prime running back. It, it's kind of weird to say, but they do use him kind of like Derrick Henry, where he's not playing a bunch of the passing downs, but Derrick Henry quietly for as big as he is, he kind of gets like miscasted, like as like a between the tackles guy, like they give him on stretches and pitches and like, let him go for those home run threats. And that's where CPAD keeps popping these plays are right off the edge. So it's very similar to how Arthur Smith used uh, Derrick Henry. Um, he just looks so damn good. Um, is there anything we can say about Kyle Pitts? You said that most of it happened in the first quarter. I saw some of it at wide receiver. Um, we'll go back and watch it versus, for stats versus film. Is this translatable though? Like that's the big question. You know, no one is benching Kyle Pitts through three weeks, but 87 yards after getting 19 and 19 in his first two weeks, there's still room to grow. Is what I'm hearing from you with Kyle Pitts? I think there's room to grow. It could have been better. He did on that opening drive get stuffed inside the five-yard line on a reception, and that's what led to Marcus Mariota scrambling in for the touchdown. So the ceiling is clearly higher. It, it is somewhat concerning that for after the first drive, the, for the rest of the game, he was basically shut out. Um, but yeah, it's there's room to grow. 40% targets, guys. I mean, a tight end. He's His ADOT's probably freaking yeah, 10 what, yards. Man. I know. It, it is true. I, we, we shouldn't lean too much into volume for five receptions and three receptions when Marcus Mariota only attempts 20 and completes 13. Like, that. that that's that's a big number. But, I mean, 13 completions for 229 yards for Marcus Mariota. This is like best-case scenario we could get from him, Hayden. Um, Even though I will say I'm still worried because – the Falcons schedule for the next three games is one that entails Mariota maybe even getting benched. Uh, they play Cleveland. Oh, they play too good to be benched. They play Cleveland, the Bucks, and the, the 49ers. Uh, I don't, I, he's, I don't think he's playing. Trash. He ha, he has a costly turnover in all three games so far. I don't think he's playing good enough to They're putting the points at not least. be benched. He's they, and, the perfect super flex pick right now. I, I love him as a quarterback too. Um, It felt like, Daigle in the last couple weeks, DK Metcalf nearly got there, like had some points wiped away, had some pass interference, so on and so forth. Today, we got a touchdown, 64 yards, Tyler Lockett, 76 and the score. Uh, we'll read into it a little bit. Like AJ Terrell got beat a number of times by DK Metcalf. It felt like, like DK is still DK. And remember, AJ Terrell got beat by Michael Thomas in week one too. Um, so maybe this is a theme going on, but yeah, it's still the same though. Like we knew he was going to be inefficient targets and he has to get by on touchdowns. So even in even on 12 targets to only catch come down with five, six of them uh, and score that 50-50 ball at the back of the end zone, he he did almost bring his toes down for a second one. But overall, it's still the same thing. It comes down to touchdowns for DK Metcalf. That's it because the yardage won't be there. Okay. Just a few games left. We've covered all the ones I believe and correct me if I'm wrong if we didn't that we covered this week in the nine games. So let's ask the questions for the rest of the contest. And we'll start off with the Saints at the Panthers, with the Panthers winning this game 22-14 to 14 at home. Uh, Baker Mayfield still awful. 12 completions for 25. 
on 25 attempts for 170 yards and a score. Uh, you evoked Derrick Henry's name in the past. Hayden Chris McCaffrey, in the words of Mike Clay, is now Derrick Henry and just a volume player at 25 carries, 108 yards. He only gets two receptions in this contest for seven yards. Um, they won this game for two reasons. One, a strip by Frankie Louvu that was returned for a touchdown by Marquise Haynes. And then my mentions absolutely erupted in a way that I've never seen before <laughs> because LaVisca Chenault, literally, Daigle, runs four routes, sees two targets, an A dot of one between those two targets, and takes those two receptions for 90 yards and a touchdown. The most efficient player in the league. Some have always called him that. I believe at one point I looked up and the Saints were holding on to an eight-point – or the. Panthers were holding on to an eight-point lead, and Baker Mayfield had 140 passing yards He's at the awful. time. Um, DJ Moore, like, we spent the entire offseason complaining about having more touchdowns when we should have just been appreciating the times he had receiving yards because it's it's a mess right now. He's He's been under 45 receiving yards in all three games this year. Well, the Baker Mayfield being poor and bad at football is directly correlating to obviously Agreed. bad DJ Moore Production I do not, because there's I like, do not blame a, DJ Moore. Do not take that as that. Uh, no, but there was there was a third and three where he had a step on his cornerback and Baker clean pocket, clean throwing lane, just completely airmails him. And we see this over and over and over him leaving clean pockets, him having erratic accuracy. And so because of that, you're not going to see anything consistent from DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson on any given week. Uh, Hayden, what should we tell the people though about LaVisca Chenault? I don't know if you've got to see these plays. Oh, I, I but, watched it. It is it is the most like great on you, great on you. Maybe from now on, Ben McAdoo says, "Okay, this is our slot player, who we're going to run mesh and get the ball in his hands and ask him to win after the catch." It was an awesome individual effort. But if we always look at opportunities, it's four routes run. No, two no one's targets. starting them. No one's starting them. People still being drafted. Hayden, he was still being picked up off waivers. I don't think he's worth being picked off of waivers at this moment. No, no, he's not going to be. He's not going to be picked off of waivers. I bet you he will. Uh, he'll be he'll be picked up in some deep. He will. Leagues, but that, but now is, is it worth it? No. I mean, Jake Ferguson was picked up last week. Like, trust me, everyone gets picked up in ten man benches. Yeah, it depends. It depends how sick your league is. I will say, if you remove that sixty seven yard touchdown pass, Baker Mayfield averaged three point yards per drop back. Three point yards per drop back. He's so it's, bad. It's, it's bad. And worst of all, there's no one coming. Uh, it's only Sam Darnold, like you said, Josh, behind him. No one's arriving to help here. If you move away Visca, his, the other two leading receivers were Shy Smith for 22 yards. He basically got benched. And Giovanni Ricci for 15 yards. That hurts. It's just unsustainable. On the Saints end, all of the prayer yards for Chris Olave do hit in this contest, namely in the fourth quarter in the second half. Uh, nine receptions for 147 yards on 13 targets. Uh, both Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas left this game in the fourth quarter. Jameis just started heaving deep shots. Chris Olave is really good and is the beneficiary of, of all of that. But there is a bit of detail that both of those players left. And then Alvin Kamara coming back in after his um, rib injury does get 15 carries for 61 and, minutes. And the more prayers you send, the yes. higher your odds are they're answered. So 26 prayers in two weeks. There's a good chance, hopefully, you can produce on them. I like that. Houston Texans lose the Chicago Bears in heartbreaking fashion, 23-20. to 20. A minute left. Davis Mills throws an interception to Roquan Smith, who returns it. 
Hayden, I want to ask you, Justin Fields, eight completions on 17 attempts, 106 yards and two interceptions. I know you didn't focus on this game, but just from reading this alone, it certainly feels like Justin Fields has to prove that he is decent before we view him as decent. The Bears last week were the first offense since 1982 to, to open the season with back-to-back games with eight or fewer completions, and they did it again. So this is – we're going to go back to like 19 freaking 14 or something the last time an offense has been this bad and this run-heavy, and it was it was working. They squeaked out a win here uh, thanks to Khalil Herbert. But, yeah, I mean, the Justin Fields stuff, I, I want to watch this game, but people I trust are saying that he looks worse this year than he did last year. At least there was like some explosiveness and some – functional stuff i'm not sure what's going on the theory of the play john daigle of drafting khalil herbert this summer was one he was being drafted behind a lot of quality running back insurance plays two he's very talented and three when david montgomery goes down khalil herbert is going to get a ton of work today 20 carries 157 yards and two scores i know you're a huge khalil herbert fan I'm a Cleo Herbert fan along with David Montgomery. I think both were going to hit in this contest because of how bad the Texans defense is, but who knows how long the injury is going to be Daigle. Let's put it this way. Looking forward, despite how bad the bears are as an overall unit. And despite being two and one, Khalil Herbert is a top 24 running back for as many snaps that he has unconnected to David Montgomery as a lead ball carrier in this offense. They play the, Giants next week too, so it's actually a fairly good write-up. The Bears, the Bears, who haven't thrown more than seventeen times in any game yet, two and could one be, could be three and one by next week. Uh, it's very clear you want the running, the starting running back in this offense, and right now it is Khalil Herbert. Uh, beforehand, it was Dave Montgomery. He got injured, and so now we're just going straight to. Again, an elite back who had a higher broken tackle rate than David Montgomery last year and was the only running back to rush for over 100 yards against the Bucks' front seven last season as well. We know what Khalil Herbert can do. We've seen him in this spot, and this is not a pass-heavy offense. Uh, no one can get there in the passing offense, Justin Fields included. They will continue to run the ball heavily. It's almost a tale of two running backs here, too, because Damian Pierce, I can't wait to see how he actually looked. He had a long carry of 24 yards, got 20 carries for 80 yards his first NFL touchdown. Uh, I still think he's like a centimeter away from a big play, but I love that we're dominating touches with him through three weeks already uh, after what that first happened in week one, because it was 20 carries for him to three carries for Rex Burkett. So that's a lot to move on from and uh, to graduate from as we go along. That's exactly what we could wish for, you know? Two two consecutive weeks now in a row. Um, uh, I don't know if you just said this. You said Rex Burkett, three carries, but yes, Damian Pierce has 35 carries now the past two games to Rex Burkett's three total. Love that. All of the pick and projections are going to be higher than they ever have been in the last two weeks from now and moving forward. Okay. I believe this is the last game other than Thursday night football, since we have to hit on or else Hayden will yell at me. Uh, it's the Las Vegas Raiders at the Tennessee Titans. Hayden, what do you want to know here? Because for me, my seat, this is back-to-back games of let's say average Devonte Adams like five receptions for 36 yards and a score. I believe that was on his first series when last week he also had a touchdown, which saved his day on two receptions for 12 yards. Like this was supposed to be beautiful. Like it was in week one. Yeah. It's just hard to get the ball when you have hall of famer, Mac Hollins going eight for one fifty-eight and one. So I don't know what happened here. He got his 10 targets. He found the end zone. The The Raiders go falling to zero and three. Uh, their defense is, Missing a couple players, uh, Denzel Perriman, uh, Trevon Morag, their safety, 
Uh, they have great edge rushers, but everything else is kind of eh, on defense. So I'm just kind of curious to see how, uh, I mean, Derek Carr dropped back 44 times. That That's even kind of a, a surprise to me that they were, I thought the Titans had the ball uh, for longer periods of time. So yeah, I'm not sure what happened here. Robert Woods, after a few quiet weeks, four receptions, 85 yards. And then uh, that means Traylon Burks goes all the way down to the dumpster at uh, one reception for for 13 yards. I, I'm shocked, though. Like, I can't wait to watch this game. I was shocked that the Titans were able to throw this much on the Raiders. Um, their pass rushers, obviously, in the Raiders end were very good. But it seemed like from early on, Daigle, like, they just commanded this with Derrick Henry and they couldn't be stopped. And then, obviously, they kind of ran to throw and everything kind of uh, blossom from there for them, but we haven't watched it. Traylon Burks led the team and routes run today came out of nowhere as well. Interesting. Uh, you wouldn't know it from the box score because really still no one got there, but yes, Traylon Burks seems to be, have worked his way into an integral part of this offense now. Okay. Let's close it out. Then Hayden, I'll let you take this one. Cleveland Browns beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 29 to 17. Once again, we get like good Jacoby Brissett, who was kind of dealing for Jacoby Brissett in back-to-back weeks, two touchdowns for him. And as always, Nick Chubb is inevitable. 23 carries, 113 yards. Yeah, I think everyone is good on Nick Chubb being like, he's probably going to be a win for like a third round pick. Oh yeah. Uh, um, Jacoby Brissett looks functional. I thought he looked func- functional even in the games where he wasn't uh, lighting up the box score. The big storyline for me was one, Amari Cooper looks pretty good. And I had like one kind of iffy play, but for the most part, looks good. Goes for over 101 yards. But to me, the big storyline from Thursday Night Football was David Njoku gets 10 targets on 31 uh, pass attempts for the, for the Browns over there. And there's a lot of schemed up stuff. Also some check down opportunity. It's so obvious when you're looking at David Njoku that this is a complete grown-ass man capable of being a fantasy tight end one if he gets the targets and I we've tried with the Donovan Peoples Jones and the Anthony Schwartz and the David Bells. These are just not NFL starting caliber players. There's a chance David Njoku uh, starts creeping into the, the top 10, top 12 category just because we know he's good at the game and because the Browns defense isn't very good. And I can see that this team is scoring a couple more points than we were expecting going into the year because Brissett's better and the, the Browns defense is worse. And we've all, we've also seen now, Donovan Peoples-Jones disappears since his 32% target share in week one. Um, in the last two games, he's sixth on the team in target share with 6.5%. He just doesn't matter in this offense. They've now honed it down. Jacoby Brissett uh, is throwing shallower, and we've seen the response the last two games as Amari Cooper with 36% target share and David Njoku with a 25% target share. And through the passing game, that's honestly all that matters. I'm stunned Amari Cooper looks this good. Like, I've never been a hater. I've never been a doubter. He's always playing through something. But if he looks this good with Jacoby Brissett, if David Njoku looks this good with Jacoby Brissett, um, week 11, this team might be. And, like, if they're able to continue on the trajectory of being, like, above 500 at this point, then, regrettably, they're setting up for, like, a lot of second-half success, even with this really awful defense that has so much invested in it, which maybe that gets fixed as they go along. I know a lot of those fans are just upset with Joe Woods because like, yes, I mean, I know it doesn't point to a lot, but watching that game in the first half, like the Steelers are able to make some plays. They're just awful. Like we have to get Mitch Trubisky out of here. Have to. Yeah. To me, when, when Tomlin decided down two scores, there's like what four minutes left in the game to punt the ball. I was like, you can't start that same quarterback if you're not even trying to win this game in a, in a completely winnable game. If you, you know, try to go for it. And he decided not to, he's, he's unwatchable.
I think that's a perfect anecdote for it, right? Where they're down by two scores, four minutes left, rather than put some trust in the player that you are backing as your starting quarterback, you just elect to try to get off the field with your defense that is getting run over play in, play out week in and week out. Um, it's time for a change yet. It doesn't sound like it is time for a change. Mitchell Trubisky is the second most inaccurate quarterback on throws 10 plus yards deep so far in the league this year, which, which keeps me coming back to as long as Trubisky's under center, like these George Pickens targets are completely useless. It took impossible catches. It took one of the greatest catches in NFL history for him to finish with 39 receiving yards. Like he has to do that every single catch. So you can keep him stashed. He's not on the radar whatsoever to me in redraft league to start right now though. Uh, And very clearly, it's just all Deontay Johnson since Trubisky can't get the ball downfield. Johnson has a 30% target share in every single game so far this year. Like, it's it's just, it's transparent what they're doing through in the passing game. All right. That's going to do it. All 14 games so far being played. Brian Ayuk is going off in Sunday Night Football. You absolutely love to see it. Imagine that. This has been great. John Daigle, tell the people where they can find you. Obviously, 4 for 4, Betsperts, and the most accurate podcast out there. Fourfor4.com, the waiver wire column out usually Monday now by 5 p.m. Eastern. We'll have all the injuries and details of the usage that happened after those injuries in the column. It's going to be a long night. Use the promo code Daigle10. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Hayden's going to be back with Sosa tomorrow for our 10-minute waiver show, but be sure to tune in to the Tuesday evening show, Stats versus Film. That's where all the goodness is going to be. We're going to dive into even more of the performances that we just talked about today. If you're listening in the audio feed, right after this is done, leave us just a five-star review. Leave a comment as well. We don't ask for that enough. Thank you so much for helping us grow this YouTube channel. It's been a blast. Week three was awesome. Chat, we appreciate you. Dave, Trombone, Jerry, Courtney, Jack, all of you. Up the villain. We'll talk to y'all soon.